Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm your radio, radio show. I'm your radio, radio show. Hello and welcome to the Nile Nine podcast. It's Nile and Andrea here. How are you, Andrea? I'm, it's spooky season. I'm good. I'm feeling spooky. Um, well, just yeah. as well you're feeling spooky because this is a spooky episode. We yeah. have a spooky guest talking about spooky music. Maybe our spookiest guest yet. <laughs> Apart from that so, time, yeah. we had a ghost, but we couldn't put that <laughs> oh, out yeah. because yeah. corrupted the files. And it was a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but this, no, we, the, the files are good. We talked to a composer. And Matthew Nolan about uh, his work for Puka Festival, which is happening uh, this weekend in the Sound Festival, Puka Festival, in a boy trim drawed in Sand Castle in Ireland, where pretty much where Sound actually began, mm-hmm. Andrea. So that's fun. And there's loads of stuff happening as part of um, of Puka Festival, lots of gigs and stuff, which uh, you can find out more about on pukafestival.com. But we thought it'd be nice to chat to Matthew, who has done uh, some projection and uh and audio stuff um, for for the festival, uh, things called double take projections um, on Slane Castle itself, and then in the woodlands at Slane Castle. Um, so really interesting um, ideas. And we talked to him about some of his favorite kind of horror scores and, and kind of inspirations. Yeah. And also we have uh, the, the, the uh, piece of music that he uh, composed for uh, Puka Festival as well. And Matthew was formerly in a post-rock band called Triep Cano, uh, you may know, and uh, they were a band that performed a lot of original live scores for classic um, films like The Cab- Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Metropolis, uh, Faust, Nosferatu and more. Um, so we're going to get into that as well. So, uh, yeah, um, Andrea, uh, it was it's a great chat. Yeah, we already and, know it's a great uh, chat. Look, I love I loved the spooky season ones. I love the, I think it's. You know, sometimes you feel like you're you're maybe worried you're worried about like you know repeating yourself, but I think there's enough here that like 
it's 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 nice and uh, Matthew is very well there are some scores that Matthew discusses here that I've never heard and there's one or two that you were unfamiliar with and then we also got to chat about some classics as well so yeah I think this is a well-rounded chat and um Matthew's very clever so yeah so I enjoyed will, listening to him talking about music. You will enjoy. Um, <laughs> it's uh, patreon.com forward slash 909 to support us. And Andrea has a ghost newsletter. Ooh, yeah. Um, how, how appropriate. The uh, link to that will be in the show notes because I don't remember the, the URL. I'm sorry. I also have a podcast. <laughs> Listen to that. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of the podcast? <laughs> My favorite <laughs> album with Andrea Cleary, season one out now. Look, all in the show notes, you can have a look there, including a lot of uh, links to uh, Spotify playlists of all the tracks that you play on uh, the podcast as well. Um, so do go and do that. But for now, do enjoy our chat with Matthew Noel. So, Matthew, how are you? Pretty good today. Thanks. Good, good. So, you are um, actively involved in the uh, the Puka Festival um, uh, this year in terms of it is the Salmon Festival that happens across Mead and Loud uh, from October 23rd to the 31st, of course, for Halloween at Boy Trim, Drogheda and Slane Castle, which is where a lot of the things that you are involved in are, are taking place. So, tell me a little bit about... Um, what what have you done for the festival this year? Because I guess the background might be, you know, I know you from um, doing uh, stuff before, like uh, silent uh, cinema soundtracks, live yeah. soundtracks and stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about your background and, and how you came to want to scare children um, at a festival. Well, I, I've always wanted to scare children, Niall. Um, this, this, this is nothing new. I'm, I'm just getting better at it as I get older. Um, and, and certainly become a, becoming a parent helps you refine those skills because um, you've got children mm. to practice on, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. My, my kind of, kind of, I guess, relationship with, with film music and actually with, with music for horror film goes back nearly 20 years to the beginnings of a, of a band that I started in the early noughties called Three Epcano. And our specific kind of brief was to was to try and take some primarily German expressionist film and try and you know offer them to contemporary audiences in a in a, in a kind of reimagined way. Um, and I think you know for for me it was uh, about taking these beautiful films that for a lot of the time have been kind of sitting on the shelf. I mean, certainly cinephiles would be more aware of of the, the legacy of this national cinema from Germany. Um, but they didn't often get theatrical presentations. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of marry something very, very modern, very contemporary with films that are, okay, they're nearly 100 years old. But in truth, I think they feel very contemporary and modern as well, certainly in terms of the types of issues and themes that they're exploring and the manner in which they're trying to unsettle us <laughs> as, as viewers or, or as mm. spectators. So there's something kind of universal there that has kind of stayed with us or stayed embedded within the, the horror genre for, for over 100 years. So I began by writing music or creating a, a sound world for, for the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, um, gosh, I think 17 and a half years ago. Um, we, we presented mm-hmm. a, a show in the Sugar Club 
Um, it was totally amazing. The place was stuffed. I didn't know what the next move would be, but suddenly people started inviting us to, to collaborate and offered alternative titles for us to work with. And that was the beginning of a wonderful trajectory that, that allowed me to, to experiment with sound. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very different to being, I guess, a, a hired gun to produce a score for, uh, for a director or for a feature film or for short or whatever, that, that kind of project where you're constantly tailoring and refining and changing um, what, you, what, what you're doing. E even if you don't agree with the director, it's, it's a constant process and a constant negotiation. Um, whereas in those kind of early three Upcano days, uh, we kind of had carte blanche. Um, we tried to be respectful. We always tried to be respectful of, of what the film was trying to achieve, what the director's vision was. Um, but we also saw uh, an amount of scope for, for, for experimentation. And that's where it all began for me. So, so kind of stepping into, you know, the, 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 the world of the Puka Festival um, probably came on the back of working closely with the Bram Stoker Festival for several years and, and, and quite a few commissions from those guys going back to 2015, 2016. Um, and then I became aware of, of the Puka Festival through a, a, a very good friend of mine called Neve Zunni. Um, she was started working for them about three and a half years ago, and um, when they initially got the, or the company curated place initially got the tender from from Board Saltier. So I've been with them for nearly three years now, yeah. mm. making things and doing things and contributing to this world that they're creating. So tell me a little bit about what you've done for this year's festival. Um, I was given a a, a, a a short brief this year, um, and, and this is to go back to this is about scaring little children. Um, well, actually, we, we were given a, a four to five minute section of this wonderful promenade piece um, that is in, in closing and encircling Slane Castle this year. Uh, and there's 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 a section of the, the woodlands at the back of the castle, which is without any intervention, sonically or visually or in term, using lights, is already spooky as hell. Um, <laughs> um, and Andy Bryden, the, the, the festival director, um, invited me to create a, a piece of sound art and, and visual art as well or, um, to, to kind of uh, to animate the space and to kind of deepen that sense of dread <laughs> as you pass by this little little collection of, uh, of ash trees. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, the, the, the brief was, was straightforward. Um, you know, getting the visual component to that Right. I mean, there's never getting it right, but, you know, working towards something that was going to work in the space took took some drafting. Um, but the initial brief for me around sound um, was really straightforward. Andy is a big fan of Colin Stetson. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before, yeah, Niall. Yeah. And, uh, and Andy loves the soundtrack to Hereditary, which I also love as well. And I think it's an absolutely terrifying film. Mm. Um, so that was just one kind of, I guess, kind of creative touchstone that he 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 he. he he put in my mind's eye and that began a, a, a journey of just collecting sounds, um, sounds that were made either from electric guitar or made from synthesizer. Um, and that's when I folded a, a good friend and a, a, a fairly long term collaborator now, Sean Mackerlane, um, into the mix. Um, so he he brought kind of his mixing ears um, and a sense of perspective. And also, despite the fact that this may seem like a random collection of unusual sounds and frequencies designed to really kind of, uh, I don't know, get under your skin. <laughs> um, we still had to arrange it and map it out and, and, and create an experience because we were very much aware that people will walk through this space. They're not necessarily, some will stand and listen and some will, will walk through the space. And we needed to have the sense of something ever evolving, something that wasn't going to let the listener um, kind of settle. 
it might create the illusion that uh, comfort or comfortable space has been created for them and then we'd introduce something else that would kind of un unsettle them. So it's it sounds like a fairly straightforward brief, but actually to compress all that into four minutes, um, you know, required a hell of a lot of, of forethought. Um, and again, just collecting a massive palette of, of, of sounds. Um, and that, that, was the, that was the actual kind of pulling the music together took us a day. Um, I won't lie, <laughs> but, but the collecting of sounds that we thought would be appropriate took, took weeks and weeks. But it's a great process. <laughs> and as, as someone who's kind of it takes inspiration from the horror films and the horror soundtracks that you love, I, I always think that horror is so interesting, especially um, people who compose for horror, because there is more than any other genre, really, there is this kind of deep bedded language in, in how horror is scored. Um, and I always feel like composers are either working within it or working against that, as opposed to kind of more traditional, you know, like fantasy scores or, you know, I saw Dune the other day and that was its own thing. It had kind of horror elements in it as well. Um, what, what what kind of, what elements, um, and, and we will probably talk about a, a, a few of them when we get onto your your tracks here, but what what would you say are the kind of the core elements of horror scoring, even in terms of instrumentation, different tones, different, uh, how, how different tones work with one another that you find particularly interesting and that you find crops up in, in your work? Well, I, I think what I keep returning to whenever I'm presented with a brief like the Puka one or if it's, you know, a, a more extended kind of feature is uh, I don't think about instrumentation necessarily first. I don't I certainly don't think about kind of melody or harmonic structure. The first things that I think about are texture um, and, and it is about building a kind of a, a set of ideas that I think somehow map onto or, ins or, or kind of align themselves with what's happening vi vi visually um, or the visual texture, as it were. Um, and once I've got that, then it is about kind of, you know, kind of teasing out kind of ideas. I tend not to think in two overtly musical terms when it comes to horror soundtrack. Okay. I think that comes at the, at the very end. Mm. <laughs> um, That's really I interesting. Think, yeah, I think, I think obvious motifs um, tend to be leading um, when it comes to horror music. Um, I also think, you know, most of what I really enjoy within the, the horror genre, this is a very general kind of, kind of comment, is that horror at its best um, is manipulating, manipulating you through what it's not allowing you to see and what is not allowing you to hear. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so the movement between sound and the absence of sound for me and horror is, is really important. So understanding where space is required and then what kind of texture to introduce is for me the beginning point of any uh, attempt to, to create music to accompany uh, a, a horror movie. Then after that, you kind of think about instrumentation. If the, you know, if I want to think through you know, light motifs or, or some recurring motifs that, that, that might serve the film well, then I'll start thinking along those lines. But I generally don't. Um, I think, you know, refusing the spectator um, uh, uh, enough to latch on to to create overt meaning mm. <laughs> is kind of what I aspire to. Like, and I, I think I really our, our light motifs a bit old fashioned in horror now. Are they, oh, are they totally, gone out of yeah. fashion a bit? We kind of haven't had a big one in a long time. No, we haven't. And, yeah. I, and I think I, I sometimes think that, you know, a lot of film music as it's evolved into in the last kind of 10, 10, 10 to 15 years has probably in some ways become a little bit lazy mm. in that it doesn't use leitmotifs yeah. where they could be 
you know, really serve a huge dramatic um, or narrative mm. uh, uh, function. Um, but I can also understand why that sense of texture, using that full frequency spectrum that you can explore, um, especially in modern theatres um, yeah. and all of those sub frequencies that you can use. Um, in a way, it's, it's, it's I'm not saying it's easy, um, but you can go into that part of the frequency spectrum and do amazing work yeah. <laughs> very quickly. Uh, so I, I sometimes think, yeah, for the most part, that's what's appropriate to horror film. But again, occasionally something is crying out for, for a motif or mm. something that's going to get under your skin. Um, and yeah, you're right. It has been a while. Yeah, it has been. I, been I thought Dune could have done one that does, so that was that was my big takeaway when I came out at the cinema the other day. I was like, I would have liked okay. a melody. <laughs> 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 well, we get on to some of these tracks then. I'm dying to jump yeah, in. Yeah. Well, yes, you did yeah. mention Under the Skin, so no better place to start than the Mika mm. Levy score for Under the Skin and a track you particularly chose. Now, it is a long one, so we won't be able to get it all. But uh, Lipstick mm -hmm. to Void is the track. And uh, let's hear a bit of it now. There's so much there in terms of, you know, like you're talking, you like it really does. It's unsettling. It's unnerving. It has that spaciousness to it. It has that um, that ambience to it. There's a tapping percussion there. It kind of like also calls back a little bit to maybe kind of uh, Bernard Herrmann's Psycho Norman Bates kind of stuff. That very like dragging string. So you picked this, Matthew. So tell me a bit about why this chimes with you. Well, for, for me, it's 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 the sheer simplicity of it um, and, and what Levy kind of builds upon this simple, repetitive bass drum kind of hit um, that has been EQ'd to really kind of reverberate. Um, so it's that coupled with the, the kind of electronic manipulation that's going on of certain sounds and also the electronic manipulation, only partial of, uh, of the string lines um, that, that have been kind of created for it. Um, and I think what, what you have with the string line over this repetitious beat is, is a sense of movement that is totally restless. Um, and I, I, that's one thing that I really kind of uh, appreciate in her, in her, sorry, um, in her kind of scoring, especially within this film, um, is, is to never let you settle. Um, there may be one recurring central repetitive element to the music. Um, which grounds you or certainly creates the illusion of, of, of a grounding 
um, and that you're in some kind of safe <laughs> space or relative space, safe space narratively or control space. Um, and then she starts to kind of uh, throw in elements that, that utterly destabilize you as, as a viewer. Um, and it's, uh, it's almost the same palette that she uses across the film. It's the same kind of almost triptych of electronics, um, unusually modulating strings. Um, and then I think that that kick drum is relentless. Yeah. And it's, I find it absolutely terrifying. It is. And it's, relentless. it's like, it's like um, um, uh, somebody walking down the corridor towards you. Like it's, it's very, yeah. it's very ominous. And I think I, I actually only saw this film like for the first time a few months ago. So it's, it's, it's pretty fre fresh in my head. And I think I remember throughout this film, there being times when the score kind of gets very loud um, and all of, all of the, those different elements kind of build up at one moment and it's almost unbearable to listen to, but right, right at the moment where it's not bearable anymore, it'll, it'll just kind of pull back. Well, it, it won't, it won't really push you over the edge, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there, 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 there's a, there are moments of respite like mm. that. And I think, you know, I think you need those. Otherwise the score starts to lose its impact. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, in that film, uh, you know, the director allows for those extended moments of ab almost visual and sonic abstraction, mm. um, which for me are hugely exciting and, 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 and absolutely um, horrific. Um, I, I saw it about five years ago. My, my other half was away in San Francisco um, and I had a young child upstairs and I watched it and I had to stop it halfway mm. through. I found that the whole thing overwhelming. Um, and then I watched it. The rest of it the next night um, and started watching the, the the credit roll at the end and i spotted two musicians that i knew oh, wow. in, in the credit roll one who had just passed away wow um so so the, the film took on a, an, another kind of resonance for me just by dint of of you know that that credit roll every time i think of levy's music i think of of you know of, of 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 this person, so it's it has that extra tragic dimension to me for me rather you know beyond it just being a, an excellent example of you know a contemporary modern but also a score that's definitely in dialogue with um, music from the past. I mean, you go back to what is probably considered the first great symphonic score, which is Max Steiner's score for for King Kong in the early nineteen thirties. The way percussion is used in that, and big percussion is used is not dissimilar to, albeit Levy's using it in a much more rudimentary and minimalist fashion, but it's used in a similar way <laughs> to create that sense of a foreboding presence that isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And I, like, how much is this, do you think, is in the mixing of a track like this, say, because there's so much of that, that kind of liminal atmosphere that's in the film, in that kind of black space that she's in, um, you know, the blank space, whatever you want to call it, but it has that kind of, this has that quality to it as well, doesn't it? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a director that's, you know, really confident in allowing their composer to fill all of the sonic space um, um, and to create all of, well, not all of, but to, to contribute to the drama um, that's unfolding on screen. There's not many directors, I think, that would allow that kind of uh, almost impressionism to take hold in a, in, a, in a film sequence. They'd be too afraid. And there's not a lot of dialogue <laughs> um, in this film. This isn't a very dialogue heavy no, film. No. So the score is doing a lot of work. It's doing a lot more work yeah. than than it than a score might usually do in, in a horror film or yeah. in a kind of a, a contemporary sort of popular horror film, certainly. Yep. 
no, you're totally right, and and it it kind of needs mm. to, um, because because I think the film there's a lot of these kind of long airs where very little happens, mm. um, and you know you, you need to have your interest and your curiosity maintained yeah. as as you're watching this wholly bizarre yeah. and and <laughs> beyond waiting for Scarlett out. Johansson's terrible wig to fall off, which is what I spent <laughs> a lot, quite a bit of the film <laughs> <laughs> during during any parts of the film when I got too scared, I just focusing on her wig and saying oh, it's a wig it's a wig it's a wig and that okay, helped me okay. through it <laughs> that's, okay right well, now i have something to latch on yeah, to for yeah. the next time thanks yeah my other big tip for glasses wearers if you get scared at a film just take off your glasses for a little bit and wait it out <laughs> okay. will we move on to the next uh the next choice the dome yeah so this is from logan's run so let's uh let's play a bit over here this is the dome from jerry goldsmith Okay, that's the dome. Uh, composer is Jerry Goldsmith. Um, the album, uh, well, the the movie it's from is Logan's Run, which I've only think I've only ever seen really on TV over the years. You know that kind of way. I've never seen it. Yeah. Never seen Logan's Run. I've, I've two memories of it: uh, the, the movie and the TV series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. The TV series was, was a big thing when I was a kid, um, and I think that probably led me to to to, to the movie. Um, and it's a movie that I kind of revisit regularly, and and it's 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 a film that I treat more as a horror movie um, than a, a science fiction film, as it's often kind of, I kind of ill, Ill poorly categorized as. Um, and that piece of music, or that, that's a suite of music, there's so much happening across those couple of minutes, is, is for me a great example of two kind of musical histories across the 20th century meeting, or musical cultures. Um, and that's the use of synthesized music um, and the use of uh, an orchestra, but the use of an orchestra in a much more radical way. And the use of dissonance um, in a way, I guess, you know, if you can go back to the likes of Bernard Herrmann and composers like that who were experimenting in, 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 in that kind of way with, with string ensembles. But this is a wonderful collision of the, the electric, the synthesized and the more traditional kind of instrumentation. Um, it's also uh, an example of, I think, a piece of music that contains kind of multiple motifs 
occurring at the same time. Um, so it kind of it, it it serves the film well um, as a as a way of of, of reminding, but well, certainly reminds the audience at the, at the start of the movie uh, of some of the musical ideas that are going to, to kind of present themselves across I, the, the narrative. I'm mad in thinking that the opening bit there that we listen to that that is either parodied or changed slightly to be Sideshow Bob's um, <laughs> music in The Simpsons. I, I, now, really, I really hope I so, think I, yeah. I'm nearly certain it is. It's, that, it's, the, it's the three tones moving down. Watch a clip of Sideshow Bob and The Simpsons and then listen okay. to that. I'm nearly certain. And I Googled <laughs> okay. it and I couldn't see that it that that was something that they had like actively done. But okay. I, I think well, I think they're the same little motif. Um, I think you've stumbled on an yeah. injury. Right? <laughs> I'll really, be absolutely really delighted but, if I yeah, have. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it is, um, it's it's the same to me. It sounds the same as when you're when they're zooming in on Springfield Prison, we're about to see Sideshow Bob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was an interesting time, wasn't it, for for I guess the evolution of the, the I mean, the synthesizer within kind of kind of more mainstream music, but also its use in in, in film. Um, and I think there there are great examples from the early seventies. I think probably the most radical and the most prominent um, would be the the work that well, Wendy Carlos was making um, for, for for Stanley Kubrick. Um, but I do think there's something in Goldsmith's music where there's this really beautiful clash. Um, you know, this is the early 1970s, you know, when that old way of making music for film was starting to fade um, or was getting radicalized. And then all of this new technology was was showing us a, a totally different way um, and that the synthesizer could be just as emotive um, and create just as dramatic a score as as an orchestra. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, arrangers and orchestrators and composers who who work the old old way. We're going, Jesus, I think we're going to be. Out yeah, to those. yeah, it sounds kind of simultaneously golden age and futuristic or kind of yep. re- retro futuristic yep. at, at the same yep. time, because those those big sweeping yep. strings, they do kind of say yep. Hollywood production. But once once you bring in that that synthesizer, which to us sounds kind yeah. of it it does sound like 1970s synthesizers and oh, it's it's, it's totally and so dated, charming you know. <laughs> because of that and i mean i i think you see that kind of returning now though like little motifs like that in stranger things and it follows and there's a few horror scores that have sort of been, like harken back to that to that sound just because i think yeah. it is so charming but i suppose at the time yeah it would have sounded quite futuristic and a bit scary because of it in a cyber yeah. film like I said, I think I think that almost uh, the the history of of film music up until that point is there embedded within that suite. You know, going all the way back to those early symphonic works, um, you know, right through to the more kind of um, modernist stuff, or you know, certainly the, the 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 more dissonant stuff in the in the late fifties and early sixties, and then the, the elements of the the dissonant brass and dissonant string arrangements in that, and how they dovetail seamlessly into the electronic sequences. Um, which also are quite dissonant, um, are just, to me, it, it's astonishing that a composer was able to move between these two spaces, um, whatever that is, 50 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, Very good. Okay, so your next choice is actually a Russian composer, and I believe, is, is mm. this the, one of the reasons why your band was called Triapcano? Um, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's d- deeply pretentious, uh, <laughs> as, as, as I'm sure we can all agree, but yeah, we... we the, the, the name was borrowed from from Andrei Tarkovsky's film Mirror, 
Um, but this piece of music is uh, is by uh, Edward Artemyev, who was uh, quite a, a significant significant collaborator um, of of Tarkovsky's. And this is a, a section or a sequence from um, from his great science fiction movie uh, Sol- Solaris. Um, and again, we're back to kind of uh, a kind of minimalist kind of musical terrain. This is almost ambient um, music. But if you listen carefully, there's, and if you listen, there's a kind of there's kind of granular detail here um, that I think is quite radical um, and avant garde. You know, given that it's what I, what it is now, that the, the movie is fifty years old next right. year. Yep. Okay. Well, let's play a passage from this as well. So again, this is uh, seven minutes long, so we can't get the whole thing. But if there's any other passage there, Matt, you think we should be uh, playing? If uh, no, no, that's the general. It's one of these pieces that kind of slowly morphs, uh, returns to the never quite returns to the same spot. But you you do feel, in in some ways, that it's it's quite static, but it does gradually um, kind of grow and fade, and elements appear and then disappear like they might fade out across two or three minutes. Um, but Artem Yef was, was unusual in his approach to, to scores for Tarkovsky um, and especially Solaris. He used a very unusual um, photoelectric synthesizer, um, which didn't have a traditional keyboard. So he was definitely working outside of the, the kind of the 12 tone realm yeah. <laughs> that, that, that we're all kind of familiar with. Um, and I think in a way what, what you have with uh, Artem Yef's music and you know, almost sound design for Solaris is is the beginnings of where sound design and music start to complement each other, um, and where a significant amount of thought was starting to be given to how sound design and music need to kind of coexist and interrelate and overlap when it comes to film. Production. Yeah, I wonder how difficult because it think- is to like when, once you're like moving outside of that 12 tone structure as a composer is is one thing, but then also kind of working with um you know experimental new instruments and also then working with a film i imagine it must be so difficult to stay tethered and to create a soundtrack slash soundscape in a way that also sounds 
consistent and like it like one piece belongs to the next piece o- over the course of a film and i mean is is it the visuals that that keeps that that, that would keep a composer like this tethered because otherwise i could imagine you just I, I go off so. in mad directions I, well i I, I think you very easily mm. could. And I think this is this is where, you know, Tarkovsky is, is unusual in the way in his visual design and in his approach to editing. Mm. Um, he was really, uh, uh, what would you say? He really was suspicious of the cut right. um, as, as, as a way of moving us around as spectators, mm. um, as a way of engendering meaning or repositioning us as, as spectators. Um, he would allow scenes and action to unfold across two, three, four or five. And in some cases, in the last film, he made the sacrifice. There's one sequence shot that lasts for over 10 minutes. Um, so if you if you if you think about that in relation to Solaris, it being, you know, superficially a science fiction film, but really it's a it, it's a ghost story. Um, that's, I think, fundamentally what it is. Um, and uh, you think about those scenes that are allowed, which are quite languid, um, where time unfold in a different way. It's not cinematic time as we know it. Um, he's certainly inviting us to take, you know, in a way that you don't get with mainstream film, a lot more kind of responsibility for for creating meaning um, out of what it is that we see. So I think that um, leaves a huge amount of space for a composer like Artemyev to explore these long kind of drone-like kind of musical gestures um, and to allow that to overlap with 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 the kind of the sound design work um, that, that 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 contributes to you know the kind of to, to, to drama on screen so i think that's the only way it could have yeah. worked <laughs> you know you know you, you couldn't have used you know artem yet's music on say 2001 a space odyssey a film that is so meticulously edited um, and actually in a lot of ways is edited to music some of those sequences are edited beautifully to to to, to resonate with the with the music that 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 Kubrick chose, so you know you're you're definitely in wholly different cinematic terrain w- with Tarkovsky, um, and I think it's it's why we have something so beautiful and beautifully apt for for this very tender and very moving and deeply melancholic um, film, and um, which which actually I'm I'm myself and and Steve Shannon now you'll be interested to hear and you Andrea we've. We've been commissioned by the Film Society at the Lincoln Centre in New York oh. to uh, to rescore Solaris oh, wow. for, for a special presentation. Congratulations, that's um, fantastic. This, this, yeah, it's, to, it's totally wow. amazing. So this time next year, we'll be presenting wow. a, 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 new, a new score. Oh, have you started work on it yet? No, we're, we're going to get work on it pretty soon. We're just trying to finish off a, an actual film score right. that we're, we're collaborating on. But it's it's the that's most so exciting, exciting thing to have in the calendar <laughs> wow. for next year. Yeah, that's like, pretty, by, by far. pretty close to your origin story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Nice. Are you, is it uh, daunting? It is, because I think Artemia scores almost mm. perfect. <laughs> So, so it is. So you just make um, those few okay. little tweaks then and make it perfect. And just yeah, yeah. Put your I'll, name yeah on I'll, just, I'll just eat. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll filter it ever so slightly and you know, a few little EQ no, changes. An electric and, guitar wouldn't but, go amiss. That'd be my only note. But, you know, other than that, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I would see, you know, in, in that creative kind of workflow, um, you know, we've already spoken about the need for possible mm. motifs. Mm. Um, you know, that, OK, you can have music that just hangs there and has a presence that's palpable. You're rarely, you know, you're rarely aware of it as a musical presence, but you are aware yeah. of it. 
Um, but, you know, there's there's a sense that maybe we could do a little bit more. We'd still stay respectful of how Tarkovsky saw music being used and how it interacted um, with with the drama on screen and on sound design, but maybe take teeny tiny bits of creative license. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Little, that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's it really is. That's um, amazing, yeah. Okay, so our next one is... Well, uh, this one needs no introduction. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> So that is, of course, John Carpenter's uh, iconic theme for Halloween and uh, apparently composed uh, the whole thing in three days, um, <laughs> the score three days. And he said that that rhythm was inspired by an exercise my father taught me on the bongos in 1961, the beating out of five, four times. So that's oh. where he said he got oh, yeah. that. So, yeah, simple, simple, but effective. <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, I mean, I think it's a great example of how, uh, you know, synthesized music or electronic music can create something just as as lush just as present and something just as potent as 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 an orchestra um and it's in its simplicity that it's really compelling um it's uh it's that simple repetition of the the piano line you know that very simple but carefully modulating synth line that he overlays then there's another one that he overlays on that and then what you've already outlined Niall, which just creates you know, constant intrigue and keeps you going is that five yeah. four rhythm. Five four um, rhythm sounds like someone running is, away from something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's you know that that gets the pulse going, that gets the adrenaline moving, um, and it's it's a really simple piece of of psychological manipulation. Mm. And in terms <laughs> in, of those in, motifs in that we were talking about, I mean, this has surely got yeah. to be the 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 finest example of one that was composed specifically rather. Um, I mean, my goal feels to be rebels for the exorcist is obviously, you know, um, was, was its own piece, but, but excellently used there. But this, I mean, this has to be the, the one, this is the one that, you know, that, that people parody, well, I, I that they copy, the like this is, this is yeah. the horror yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, the yeah, this is the platonic form one, right, yeah. of all <laughs> modern synthesized. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, Tubular Bells is wonderful, but, you know, William Friedkin had a, another great composer working on that film. Who yeah, fired, yeah. <laughs> which I always think is I astonishing. <laughs> and, and walked in with the, 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 uh, an old yeah. A-track and went, this is what we're using. So, and it is, you can't imagine The Exorcist without mm. that music. Um, but it is, and it's a great example of found music being, you know, re- repurposed. Mm. 
But, you know, as you said, Niall, for this to have come out of a three day kind of creative burst. Yeah. Um, and probably because they feck all money, mm. <laughs> um, you know, working on a, on a, on a small budget. Um, I've heard stories about the production. Um, a, a very dear friend of mine who's recently retired um, from Trinity College, Matthew Cozy, his brother, Tommy, um, who I've gotten to know well over the years, was, was Carpenter's sound man for about 20 years. So he tells great stories about being wow. on set for, for Halloween and all of them just kind of working away. There's only a small crew of about 15 people. Um, they had very little money. Nobody thought for a second they were working on what would become a, an iconic horror yeah. movie. They just thought, yeah, this is kind of a clever movie. Um, and they moved on. And several months later, um, when, it, when it hit the theatres, they, they couldn't believe the kind of explosion of interest and absolute terror. <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen fo <laughs> photographs, like just from, you know, disposable camera. It's like, you know, the, the last day of shooting on Halloween. And it's just kind of people yeah. standing around, like they've no idea yeah. <laughs> that yeah. they've, you know, changed horror <laughs> cinema forever. They're just kind of like, oh yeah, we finished the film now. Hopefully I'll get commissioned to do something else soon and move on then. But well, that, that's kind of it. They're all in the early days of the career. And, and I guess, you know, Carpenter is, is a great uh, kind of the way he makes film. It's really lean and spare. Um, you know, he's a big fan of Howard Hawks. So kind of he's kind of minimalist in, in his own way. You know, so uh, people talk about Halloween as being one of the great horror movies in terms of it being bloody and gory. Yeah. And it's not at all. No. Um, you know, n nothing really scary happens until about 70 minutes into the movie. I mean, the scariest thing that happened in that film is, is somebody walks out from behind a bush. You know what I mean? And that's that yeah, yeah, will put yeah. chills up my spine, like for the rest yeah. of my life. Or, you know, somebody standing yeah. amongst some washing on a line. It, it's it's those yeah. things. It's, it's less enough. about the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is enough. And managing tension mm. and, and the slow ramp up of tension and then when you've got a director who's done that you know visually and is now ready to supplement it and reinforce that through music then then you've got this beautiful combination and, and I, I i honestly can't think of of a, of a filmmaker and composer in one yeah. person who can match carpenter no. have you any interest in seeing the the remake or the, the I, second I half of yeah. the remake or yeah yeah yeah, they <laughs> are they still just, using just the music? Curiosity. Are they still using that theme in, in the new? Well, he's still involved in the score, right. so I guess it's it must be variation on, you know, the, the yeah. original themes. It might have like a drum beat underneath it or something. Yeah, his, isn't it, his son is now <laughs> yeah. involved in that the oh, whole thing. Okay. Like his son does stuff. Well. Yeah. Yeah, so they had a new, I mean, he releases albums on Sacred Bones of all of his music. And mm. I think his son yeah. is the most, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Yeah, and the son is in the band, the touring band with him. That's and, right, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I was, didn't get to go and see them a couple of years ago. I was too busy working on a, a horror movie project, mm. actually. Um, but he played in Vicar Street. He's one of, one of Timo's mm. Yeah, um, which apparently was glorious. Very good. All right, um, our next uh, track is a, The Lullaby from Rosemary's Baby um, from Christoph Comida. That's a good one.
So that is Mia Farrow at the end there, I believe, um, singing over that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of just a bit unnerving again. It was just like, <laughs> like um, not sh- sure well, what's going on. So I'm just going to la la over the top of this. Well, <laughs> well now, now that I think about it, there's probably much more unnerving variations on that. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, you Utilised within the film. But, you know, for, for me, it's, it's that meeting of, uh, you know, uh, and in what is a relatively, what we assume is a relatively innocent childhood song or a song that, you know, would traditionally be sung or for children and um, being quite radically <laughs> recontextualized. Re- re- it's also an example of, of, uh, of, you know, something that's more from the jazz idiom and kind of moving its way into, into kind of mainstream film scoring. Um, and you know, Christoph Komeda is one of one of the great um, kind of jazz composers, um, or, or composed within that kind of idiom. Um, so you know, for me, it's 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 not the great example of 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 jazz being used in film, but it is an unusual collision of you know music that we associate with relative innocence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, that particular idiom being overlaid um, on a, a film that is deadly, deadly serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. There are kind of gothic comedic moments in it, but it's a film that absolutely terrifies me. It's it's one of a handful of films I saw when I was far too young. Oh no! Um, up there with yeah, with The Exorcist. I think when I was about eight mm. or nine. These are real de- the kind of defining formative moments for me. Unfortunately, or fortunately, mm. I don't know. The other was Dawn of the Dead ah. um, when I was around the same age, and Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Not a good thing to be showing children, <laughs> but you know, it was the eighties in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Not Nelson. <laughs> Yeah, what I, what I love about that that particular section of the score is that if you were to listen to a divorce from the context of the film, up until Mia Farrow starts singing, there's not a massive sense of foreboding in in the. I mean, it it it's quite romantic or maybe a bit melodramatic or something. It's really sweeping and um, there's a big focus on melody. And I think if you were to listen to it aside from you you think it reminds me of like the the opening numbers in um in Inglorious Bastards, for example. Um, I think that I know Quentin Tarantino is a massive massive fan of of, of this film, so I, I can imagine that that was a bit of a touch point for him there. But um, yeah, it is it, it's quite a sweeping romantic sounding score, which which is fitting, I suppose, um, in terms of how you are wrong footed within the film about what what you kind of think it's going to be about and what it actually is about, you know. Well, it's, it's the use of that that kind of simple motif. You know, you, you see it again in, in, in Nicholas Rogue's um, Don't Look mm-hmm. Now. Um, you see it in um, that film from about, like, Let the Right One yes, In. Yes, yeah. S- similar motifs being yeah. used. Um, and maybe it's fallen into kind of film music cliché you know, to, to use that kind of melody mm. um, um, when it comes to children or children in peril. But 
still bloody yeah. well. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think when it's not done well, it's when you move into like nursery rhyme territory with yeah, <laughs> little yes. children like skipping yes. and doing the, the. Is that from the the Freddy films? Isn't that in that? And yeah, just exactly. sort of like a twinkle, twinkle, little star, but put it in a minor key or something. I think that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's when it starts to get a bit cheap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, here, yeah, my, here might lazy. be the genesis of of um, of so many of those kind of um, iterations of of the that children's uh, children's music being spooky, as it should yeah, be. So <laughs> our next track is from a film I'm not familiar with, so maybe you can tell me what it's like. And Nadja, so it's uh, Simon Fisher-Turner and uh, Oil Species Nadja from 1994, um, a horror film um, directed by Michael Almereda. Right. You've seen the film, obviously. So I have seen the film. It's, it's a David Lynch production, ah. which should give you some insight into it. <laughs> I see. And it, it's, it's a loose, very loose remake of an old film from the 30s called Dracula's Book. Okay. Very good. So just to give you. Let's play a bit of the track then. That might be one for me to watch this uh, in this week, since I've never seen it. So that's uh, from Nadja, that's Simon Fisher-Turner on Isle of Species. I think we're starting to see a pattern here with um, with your choices in terms of kind of long drones and then electronic drones, elements yeah. kind of coming in. Well, th- this one was kind of uh, inspiring for me. Um, uh, like I, I certainly wasn't aware of the film when it came out in the mid-90s. It was four or five years later. Um, and I was kind of drawn to it after um, obsessing over the, the films of Hal Hartley for a few years and seeing that one of uh, Hartley's go-to actors, Martin Donovan, was in this odd new vampire movie. So I, I, I rented it out and sat and, and, and watched uh, a very unusual uh, grafting of almost every, <laughs> not every, but so many ideas from Dracula films um, and vampire literature all crafted into this single movie set in in contemporary New York in the in the mid nineteen nineties. Um, so the film itself is is, uh, is is quite extraordinary as as this kind of kind of intertextual extravaganza. Um, but what what I found fascinating is that most of what Simon Fisher Turner does is he begins making sounds using a guitar, and I'm first and foremost a guitarist, and I, and I like to manipulate sounds using the guitar and it might be using, it's rarely using kind of anything beyond pedals or a suite of pedals. Um, but that's what he's doing here. Um, there's very little by way of electronic music as we know it. 
um, evolving across this piece. There are some, but for the most part, these are ideas that have, you know, started on guitar or have been repitched um, and and reconstituted to, to obviously to, to fit a sequence um, in the film. So that's I found this kind of inspiring <laughs> um, to know that you can you can begin um, ideas on a guitar and end up um, with something that kind of detailed. Yeah. And sounding um, that, and that much compelling. away, that far away from guitar music. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's where I think you know Simon Fisher Turner is, is is quite inspiring, and and that was a, a kind of pivotal moment for me, and in, in thinking through you know how that kind of music can be re grafted onto onto film. Like uh, another, I remember seeing the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in the IFI, God, eighteen or nineteen years ago. And the projectionist presented it with no uh, with no film. I don't know if there were, or no no music right. right, and I don't know if there was no optical track on the print. But they just presented it so- silently, wow. um, and it was deeply unnerving um, and so compelling. Once you got used to this way of watching this world unfold, it was uh, became really compelling. And I remember looking the film up afterwards and looking for soundtracks, and I saw that the late great Mark Linkhouse from Sparkle Horse. Mm. Um, had made a, a soundtrack starting with guitar. And I thought that that's what inspired me to kind of start with a guitar, yeah. <laughs> an electric guitar and think, OK, this this is can be a potent tool for, for, for creating film music and especially for creating music for horror yeah. movies. Um, so so that that was kind of I, I chose that because it's it's as much inspirational um, in the way it's designed as 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 for what it sounds like and and unnecessarily mm. for the film that it came from. I think I've only seen The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari silent as well. I saw it in a film studies lecture and I can't imagine it would have played a... Yeah, I don't remember there being any music alongside it. Bloody yeah. scary though. Yeah. Bloody oh, scary film. <laughs> Even now, you know, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, it, it, it hasn't no. dated no. at all. Um, not at all. No. Not at all. And actually, the, the last kind of film soundtrack gig that I did in Dublin was last February, um, was uh, the 100th anniversary screening of yeah. that with myself and Sean McElane, Adrian Crowley, uh, you know, Neil O'Connor, yeah, Niall, Drone, Trina, yeah. Neil, yeah and, and the great Barry Adamson. Um, it was great fun. We presented it in St. Anne's Church. And then three weeks later, the shutters <laughs> came down. <laughs> We're we're back now though it's fine. <laughs> fine yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so our final two choices are from uh, both from 2018 actually. So um, this is uh, Stuart A. Staples and the Fuckbox from uh, Hot the High Life, High Life the film.
That is certainly making its presence felt. That is uh, Stuart <laughs> Staples, who may, maybe would know as uh, the uh, singer in Tinder Sticks, who also has done a lot of film composer for uh, film compositions for Claire Dennis, um, including this film High Life. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen High Life. It's uh, it's deeply unsettling stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into any great detail about what's happening in this scene, um, lest my children burst in <laughs> while I'm mid explanation. Uh, it would be wholly inappropriate. <laughs> Um, but I think it's for me. It's it's. Uh, I mean, listen, the, the film is 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 worth is worth seeing. I think Claire Denis is is one of the great, if not the greatest, living director um, working in film, uh, and her understanding of music and the kind of creative license that she's given Tindersticks, you know, with um, four or five or maybe five or six of her movies over the last twenty five years is is pretty astonishing. You know, they really are, you know, morphing into one of those great director composer you know relationships that we have you know dotted across in you know, the last 100 years or so well 90 years or so um but for me this is interesting because i think this is a piece of music that is very much something that comes out of the studio and comes out of uh experimenting within you know a, a digital kind of workstation um th this is not necessarily a, a piece of music that is is preconceived in any way it's in a way, in a lot of ways, it's probably kind of like how I approached the, the piece of music for, for the Puka Festival, which was to pick lots of unusual ideas and take an almost collage junk approach um, to how I was going to assemble them. Now, clearly, in the context of the scene that, that as, as it exists in, in, in the high life, um, there's something pretty uh, obvious uh, developing. Um, and you can hear in the music there, even the kind of the lineaments of recognizable acoustic instrumentation starting to present themselves but it definitely starts off in really angular and kind of knotted um terrain um and i kind of like that i like that that ability to kind of keep us in difficult terrain um and not be afraid to kind of challenge um the spectator or challenge the listener even um and certainly that's what uh like andy offered myself and sean with with puka was was a chance to be really left field in how we presented music in the woods um and to take us into that particular kind of uh dramatic space i don't know you know again <laughs> i haven't been i'm going to go down on halloween and do the walkabout myself. right um, so uh, so i haven't actually done the full walkabout right okay so experience at all yeah so you haven't test driven it yourself there's no like you haven't been there in the dark. but we have test driven it but only our but only our section yeah yeah okay um, the whole thing so we, right, we had of course, it, we had, yeah. yeah so we had a tech day so i want to see it as part of the, the mm. you know in a, in a more holistic way and just see if it does stand out yeah and i hope it really stands mm. out <laughs> yeah um but that, that certainly that was the ambition for myself and, and sean and for and for kenny the the videographer um and for uh, catherine o'malley the dancer that we got involved to help create the, the, the video piece. Well, we'll play some um, of uh, this, uh, your piece at the end now. Um, uh, but, great. but the last, last, your last choice is uh, from, unfortunately, Johan Johansson's, uh, maybe like f second last ever score, certainly the biggest one uh, for Mandy uh, before he passed away. Um, obviously, uh, a film starring Nicolas Cage and uh, a very bloody uh, <laughs> I don't know what you'd call it. I still don't know how I felt about Mandy at all. I'm still like, yeah. I'm still unnerved by the whole yeah. thing. Uh, but the track you picked is called Forging the Beast. Let's play.
So the film obviously has a very big performance from uh, Nicolas Cage and that <laughs> is very suitably uh, large, Are there any other uh, kinds of performances well? from no, Nicolas no, Cage? Yeah. yeah, you know, a subtle, a subtle oh. performance from uh, Nicolas Cage. Not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so why did you pick this one? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's probably the last horror movie that I saw that I, I, I really enjoyed. Um, I just, it's, 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 it's a film so excessive <laughs> <laughs> in terms of performance, uh, cinematography, the music. Um, it was overwhelming, but in, in a really kind of glorious mm. way. Um, and it's in, a, it's in dialogue with, you know, any number of kind of subgenres in the history of horror movie or horror film. Um, it's also, I think, Johan Johansson, one of his finest works. Um, uh, I think I wanted to get him in somewhere into this kind of list. And uh, this was kind of the obvious one. See, because for me, this is kind of where um, synthesized music um, and music that we associate with horror film, um, more kind of dissonant um, traditional forms and glam rock <laughs> together at last. <laughs> yeah, together at last, and and that's kind of what the the the, the soundtrack mm. feels like to me. Is you know, it's really bombastic, yeah. it's really over the top, and in and in a way which is not thing you would necessarily associate with a film like this. It's kind of fun, mm. um, and and I think given how relentless the movie is in other ways, um, relentlessly grim, bloody, violent, um, and nihilistic. Um, it kind of needs a little bit of fun. Mm. Um, and I think that's what Johansson provides for this film. You know, it's it's incredibly nuanced, but it's very present. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I kind of alighted upon upon this as the, the kind of the last piece in, in, in this kind of suite. I could have gone on and on mm. and really kind of bored you up. <laughs> <laughs> No, never. We love. We all usually limit to five, but we let you away with it this yeah, time. We'll let you away. You I, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll finish with your with your own piece as well. Um, and before, well, I guess we'll play out with that. But is there anything you'd like to say about that, other that you haven't already said in terms of, you know, construction? And it's certainly like if you're if you're putting music in an outdoor space or in a space like that, like is it? Like atmosphere and elements can change so many different things and experience of all that and like the yeah yeah well I mean one of the things and Sean is is more experienced with kind of sound installation work than I am and certainly you know the the opportunity to use kind of multi-channel um, um, presentation and um, and certainly that's great when you're in a totally controlled indoor environment um, we had to have a long think about just how clever we wanted to be outdoors. And to what extent that might diminish the impact of, of the music. You know, if we had little elements over here, like if we had six speakers and, you know, stuff being kind of yeah. f filtering from all kinds of directions, was it going to dilute the experience? And once we were down in the forest or in the woodland, wood area, um, we realized that it would. So we, we have some decision, technical decisions to make as well as kind of creative and aesthetic ones around sound choices and general construction. And that was to just present it in a really simple stereo mix, um, which gives a kind of uniformity to, to how you hear the sounds and this kind of sound world as, as it kind of plays out. I think we were really worried about, you know, the elements. I was going to um, say, have you checked the forecast? Wind, yes. about, exa <laughs> exactly. So all of these things we knew would, 
would compromise the 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 overall experience. I mean, it's very different to. Like, I was at a beautiful sand installation piece out in in Rural Red recently that Steve Shannon and Sinead Gleason created, um, and it's in a totally controlled space where they can dim the lights. You can lie on the floor. Mm. <laughs> you can really absorb in this kind of spatialized way what's going on. So that was the only kind of technical decision that we had to make. The only other um, uh, thing that, that 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 became a crucial element in its creation was I bought a really unusual synthesizer about two months ago from a, a Russian company called Soma. Um, and it never does the same thing twice when you turn it cool. on. So so I deliberately chose it for its uh, indeterminate That's cool. <laughs> elements. So, so it was full of surprises. Mm. So well, that's, um, that's me. I was just thinking there of, of this kind of uh, stereo mixing and stuff. One of the things I did last year, I think it was part of the Bram Stoker Festival, was uh, the Darkfield Radio um, experience. Have you done any of those kind of things? I, I listened to it last year. It was, was amazing. Was the Eternal, the yeah. bed one? Yes. Absolutely yes. terrifying. Um, Absolutely yes. terrifying. Uh, I think yeah. I, we may have talked about this before, Andre, but... The whole idea is you lie in your bed, listen to headphones and the... Um, yeah, yeah, we did this, talk about this last Halloween. Yeah, you were trying yeah, to get the, me to do it and I was like, no. Nope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scary. No, like, I, I nearly I nearly took it off after 10 minutes, but I stayed. Yeah, it I was stayed really hard it. not to. Like, it's so real. It's so real. And that is a, that is a whole yeah. other experience and a whole other thing that, you know, we wouldn't uh, be able to do normally. And mm-hmm. you wonder then in the future, you know, obviously, the you know, stereo, like, Dolby surround sound and all those kind of things aren't really, you know, taking off in people's houses as much as like they were maybe promised. But you know, I think there is probably mm. scope because as as time goes on, mixing and producing gets better, and then I guess like, you know, even you're thinking about now the way somebody's phone on a TV screen is just so well mixed, and you're just like, is that my phone? Yeah. You, know, you, you get those kind of feelings about you know um, sound yeah. mixing and stuff like that. But I think it, there's so much more um, to come in the future, which is also very exciting. Mm. Um, so, Matthew, thank you so much. Uh, thank for, you so uh, much. This is so Sharing great. your choices thanks, thanks, and no. talking to us about your work. Thanks, and yeah, Pukofestival.com if you want to find out more about Matthew's uh, work. And uh, we will share a link in the show notes as well. So, Matthew, thank you very much. And uh, have a, have a thanks, spooky Andrea. weekend. Yeah, so uh, that was Matthew Nolan's uh, thoughts and and, uh, shares of uh, horror music and uh, always good to delve into um, the Halloween sound season 
So, uh, so what else have you been up to, Andrea, at the moment? I know it is obviously spooky season. I have, I've got a couple of recommendations there from from Matthew's chat, um, that I might mm. want to watch soon. Um, so I would, I would be hoping to do that. I've been watching spooky things. Uh, we were watching films, and we've moved back onto TV now. I think I'm just happier when I'm watching TV. Um, so I watched Midnight Mass on Netflix, which is excellent. Very, 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 very good. It's about a preacher who arrives at a small town uh, island community in America. He's a Catholic. No, he's not a preacher. He's a Catholic priest. Excuse me. And um, and miracles start happening. Or do they? Spooky, spooky. Really, really excellent. Really well written. There are two characters in it who are very boring. And you're going to just have to. (laughs) for the first couple of episodes they will be taught it's a man and a woman they will be talking to each other you will want to tear your eyes out although I, although i think other people found them quite compelling like from what i've seen online people are like oh yeah i love their car i i hated them um but there's more than enough there in the priest and his um helper person you can tell i haven't been to mass in a long time what's the, per- the you know the person who gives out the, the sacrament um <laughs> Yeah, yeah minister of the team, Eucharist. Is that it? Minister of the well, Eucharist. Well, she's she's a, oh, yeah. she's a a wrong and she's a right wrong and uh, so between the two of them, oh, it's very good, very entertaining horror, gothic kind of or no, more horror than gothic. And it's what's his name, right. Matthew um, Thingy, who did Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. Um, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, and now I've moved on to Bly Manor, Lovely. which is excellent. Um, Really, really good so far. Um, Mike Flanagan. Mike yeah. Flanagan is. Um, I thought Bly Manor was going to be one thing, and it's not at all. Like it's very different mm. to what I thought yeah. it was going to be. It's not near. It's way more gothic than horror, which I like. Um, I don't really like jumpy, scary horrors, and this isn't. This kind of is for like the first episode or maybe the first two episodes, and then after that, it's like it's just a drama, really. So. Um, yeah, I have watched it. I, I'll be honest, I didn't. Uh, okay. Last I'm episode. getting really into it now. I'm on like, so, I think, uh, going on to episode five. Um, and I think it's getting better as it's going on. Um, but do try um, Midnight Mass because it's, it's good fun. And I, I think if you grew up in a kind of a okay. Catholic community, um, it'll be that little bit more rewarding, um, I reckon um which right. you can't say too many things are uh but besides that no i think that's um that's all the spooking i've been doing that's all the spooking uh very good uh, mm. well i mean that's that's plenty um i i have yeah. yeah i haven't really done gone into spooky mode just yet but that's because i've been watching succession from start to finish and i'm currently caught <laughs> again uh yeah so i was mm. I started i've been watching seinfeld again. from start Oh, well, that's scary in its own way for its well, uh, 90s tropes. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, good show. Don't know if anyone's ever heard of Seinfeld, but do give it a go. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, we have a Discord as part of uh, the Nile Nine Patreon um, service. And there's good good chats in there about Taskmaster and Succession and uh, good use of the spoiler tags as well. Um, so I'm very impressed. By, I can't be around a spoiler tag. I keep clicking on them. 
yeah fuck it <laughs> but like i haven't seen i did it for succession for like the first episode of succession someone put in a, a, a thing with a spoiler tag on it and they were like spoiler new episode of succession and i immediately clicked on it even though i hadn't seen it i'm just yeah. really i can't be trusted around a spoiler tag so I've, i'm actually just avoiding the um the the telly part this isn't important mm-hmm. just uh just a little note about me and my impulses listen <laughs> this is this is uh we all like to know this is a uh, episode 153 of the 99 is podcast, it? and you know we, w- we want to know what you think <laughs> <laughs> and how you operate finally <laughs> so if you want to know more about about um <laughs> Uh, uh, Andrea's list of uh, hopes and fears um, please come to the discord uh, through <laughs> the patreon.com for I'll, I'll do a list of my hopes and fears and I... well you literally you were, you've been talking about something about spiders today so. oh yeah I was <laughs> yeah, I share a bit I share a lot yeah. come on down guys the price yeah. is right um, otherwise we will see you next week um, we don't know what we're going to be doing yet but it's going to be good content. They don't need to know yes, that. It's going to be great. We're very organized. Um, it's and fine. it'll be winter then. So that's exciting. No, not yet. We're mm. not ready for that yet. Um, <laughs> okay. See you next week. Bye. All right. Have a good one. Have a spooky Bye. <laughs>